Thank you. <clears throat> oh, dear. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that we may now see what that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. This is God's word. There we go. Uh, this week, a fellow Christian leader went home to be with Jesus. Um, church family is grieving in Soma, Tacoma. Um, Cindy Knight, I had my sermon planned and written on Thursday, and Cindy on Friday texted me and, and said, did you hear about Randy Sheets? Um, I want to read this to you. This is from some of the elders at Soma Tacoma. We lost a leader, friend, brother, husband and devoted father yesterday. Randy Sheets and packed for the kingdom, Jesus' kingdom will never be known until we gather together again in the heavens and the new earth. Randy lived his life with a passion for Jesus that was contagious. I would often say to him, I love your passion, and this passion was sprung from a deep gratitude to Jesus for saving him through the influence of a dear friend in the military. Like all of us, Randy longed for significance and sought to prove his worth through his military accomplishments. He longed for love and acceptance and sought to find it through various relationships. But what he was longing for all along was the love of his heavenly Father. He put his faith and trust in Jesus because he is the only one who can restore us to right relationship with the Father by taking our sin and giving us the record of his accomplishments. Randy's life embodied this message, and his mouth boldly proclaimed it. God called Randy to follow him on an unexpected journey from military officer to security guard, a move that God used to deepen his sense of dependence on him. From security guard to seminary student, and from seminary student to visionary leader of Soma Tacoma, he would often talk how unlikely his journey had been that he in a, never million, in, a never, in a million years would have imagined himself as a pastor. But our Heavenly Father knew what he was doing. He molded Randy from a man of impassioned action into the most tender of warriors. We enjoyed five years of shared leadership serving Tacoma, Soma Tacoma together, and he was a great church leader. He and Lisa walked closely with Jen and me through the 
darkest time in my life, we wept together, fought together, laughed together, prayed together, and celebrated together. He taught me about my father, about the Father's heart for me, regularly encouraging me in ways that spoke directly to my soul. We shared many meals together, and eating with Randy was so fun because he really enjoyed good food. Over the past year, we spent a lot of time on the phone together. I'll certainly miss hearing his voice. It may sound odd, but one of my favorite memories is when we, he and I were at prayer event together and end up weeping uncontrollably together as we prayed for healing from the deep wounds of his childhood abuse. He was one of the closest friends I've ever had, and I'm heartbroken over his death. Randy's passion for Jesus shaped his love for his wife and children. He would often tell me of his snuggle sessions and tickle fights and playing Avengers with his young kids. They all seemed to have inherited his passionate personality. I pray for our perfect dad loves on them in profound and mysterious ways during these days. Randy's friendship with Lisa was a regular challenge to me. He frequently talked about how he could love and pursue her, how he could learn to listen and respond to her in healthy ways, about their long discussions about the deep issues of life and about her tender care for his wounded body and soul. I pray Jesus walks with my dear sister through the valley of the shadow of death. Mental illness, including PTSD and suicide, both carry a stigma that often borders on shame. See, Randy took his own life. I want to address that directly by saying we will never fully understand the battle Randy faced or the complex set of factors that led him to decide to end his life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, and Randy is now in the presence of his Savior. Randy's eternal destiny was secured the moment he placed his faith in Jesus. Take heart. Death is not the end for Randy's sheets. Randy fought a valiant battle with humility boasting in his weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in him. His church family walked with him and supported him in significant ways. His friends and co-workers were aware of his struggles and were checking in on him regularly, and he pursued as much medical and therapeutic help as he could. In the end, his decision to end his life was undoubtedly influenced by medication that was supposed to help him. For me, all oh, this is a reminder we are frail Amen. and that life is complex and that we don't understand the details of what others are facing, and that our first response to any story of brokenness must be compassion and mercy. So today I say goodbye to my dearest of friends, and my hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who endured death on our behalf, so that death would not be the end for us. Randy was an army ranger with three tours to army to Iraq and Afghanistan. Soma Tacoma is gathering this morning like we are. And I just want to stop and pray for him. Father God, my heart breaks for Randy's wife and kids. We can't even 
imagine the turmoil and confusion that surrounds them right now. The devastation, the hurt. Lord, the, the members of Soma Tacoma are feeling that their pastor, their shepherd, their leader took his own life. And What does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to, to believe that Jesus is Christ in the midst of this? Oh, I pray your Holy Spirit would move. That would move not only within that body of believers, but within the community of Tacoma. That Soma Tacoma is being so intentional and reaching. And I pray, Father God, that this would not hinder the gospel from going forth, but would rather, Lord God, be used in an even more significant and powerful way because that's what you could do. For us to have faith this morning is to hope in that. Lord God, may we grieve with this body. May we be in prayer for them this week and the coming days and as we think about our veterans and our soldiers, may we just continue to not judge, but to love and respond with deep compassion and mercy. And recognize that even within the church, the struggles of mental illness are real. And that we wouldn't judge and we wouldn't push away or condemn, but rather we would love and care for, and be present in, in, in hard times of need, like you are for us continually, God. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As I came to my sermon outline this morning, even as I went to bed last night, um, that was so heavy on my heart and my mind. And I began to really wrestle with this. What, is, what does it mean to have faith? Like this morning, that church is gathering together as a body of believers. What does it look like for them to have faith right now? And in these moments, I'm so grateful for this passage because this passage brings such encouragement and such hope if we truly wrestle with it and understand it. Webster defines faith as the evidence, excuse me, as, as the allegiance to a duty or person, a loyalty. It also defines it as one's promises or sincerity of intentions. It also states belief and trust in a loyalty to God, belief in the traditional doctrines of religion. And underneath this same heading, it's, it's a firm belief in something of which there is no proof. I would take argument with that. Hebrews says something different. The slides aren't working for me, Clarissa, so if you would just 
Give me a hand. I don't know if it got taken off X32 or not. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to challenge you this morning. Sometimes when we speak of being a people of faith, we're just referencing the church. And, and i got to agree with Tim Keller here when he says to move from religion to secularism is not so much a, a loss of faith as a shift into a new set of beliefs, into a new community of faith one that draws the lines between orthodoxy and heresy in different places. I think we're born people of faith. I think we're born with things that we believe in. I think we're born with things that we, we hope in. It's just the difference is, for Christians, faith looks differently than the world's faith because we believe that it's some, in something that is sure, something that is trustworthy, something that is true, something that is eternal and that will never fail us. The world is believing in themselves. The world isn't believing in jobs. The world is believing in, in economies. The world is believing in, in friendships and relationships. The world's believing in a lot of, uh, in health and in, in fitness. There's a lot of different things that the world is believing in or having faith in that they are looking to save them. But all those things will eventually fail them, and there's only faith in Christ alone. So when we talk about faith, um, as Christians, we're talking about faith in God, which is, is really specific, and I want us to understand that. You see, my thesis to you this morning, and is, I'm going to do some bad preaching here, is I'm just going to put it out there in the front of it, and I'm going to try to spend the rest of this morning trying to prove this. So my thesis to you this morning is that faith is a God-given ability to perceive the world as he made it, that is evidenced by how we live. Amen. And we're going to do this by working backwards through this passage. Like I said, it's just some bad preaching techniques all around this morning, okay? So we're going to start with verse 3. We're going to start with verse 3 this morning. I'm going to tell you this morning that faith in God is not blind. Now, the world says something different. The world says that you got this blind faith. You believe in something that you cannot see. And so let's begin here in verse 3. And I begin to contend to you that faith in God is not blind. It says here, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. What is the author of Hebrews trying to get at? Well, what he is saying here is that when before the foundations of the world, before God, before anything was made, God spoke. Now, can we see the word of God? Can we see God's words? No. So the invisible made the visible. Well, why does he give that to us here? Why does he give that this reminder? I think the author of Hebrews is saying, just like he's been saying throughout the book, because remember, we've been talking about the elements of the tabernacle. That the elements of the tabernacle, the seen things in the tabernacle, the lampstand, the altar, the table of showbread, this big heavy curtain that divided the holy of holies from the holy place, the Ark of the Covenant, the rod that was in the, the Aaron's rod that was in there. You've got the commandments that were in there, the manna. All of these things are touch, feel, taste, like you can, you can know that they're there. 
But as we discover in the book of Hebrews, the only reason that we have these things is not so that we worship these things, but rather they point towards the invisible. They point towards the greater place that we cannot see yet, that we hope in, the perfect holy tabernacle of God in the heavenly places. Those things were given to us to point to that. That the reason we have the visible world around us is not to worship, but rather to see it and then to glorify our God. And and we see creation and we see these beautiful mountains that surround us, this gorgeous lake, and we're not supposed to worship that. Rather, we're supposed to perceive that and go, oh, my God spoke that into existence. My God's a creative God. My God's a powerful God. My God is just this wonderful, holy, good God that gave us all. Like, we look at these things. We even look around this room, and we see the extreme diversity in this room of different people and faces and eye color and hair color. And God just, like, made all of this, and we were supposed to look at each other and go, praise God. We're supposed to have relationships with each other, that the visible relationships that we have are supposed to be something that we worship God with, that God gave us the visible so that we might worship the invisible. Piper gives a great illustration in this, that we as Christians should perceive things differently than the world. How many of y'all have been to a 3D movie lately? Okay, not lately. Okay, so, so some of you, they've gotten really good. Okay, I think the last 3D movie we went and saw was like Hunger Games. Wasn't that what the one? I think so. In that IMAX theater in Spokane. And we were, oh, no, it wasn't either. We saw another one. But anyways, I remember Hunger Games because like the arrows were like coming straight at you. Like you wanted to duck. Like, but if you go to a 3D movie without those glasses they put on, right, it's actually horrible. Like, it's worse than watching just a regular 2D movie because they do different effects to it because when you watch this movie, you're supposed to be watching this movie through these lenses so you get the full effect of the movie. Brothers and sisters, the world is looking. People without Jesus Christ are looking upon the world and they're seeing things through, that is meant to be seen in 3D through 2D. And they end up worshiping creation. They end up, you know, saying, you know, we've got to save creation because if we save creation, we're going to save humanity. Whereas Christians, we go, no, we put the lens of faith on and we see things differently. No, the reason I want to do well with creation is because I want to worship my God who made it and who appointed me to take care of it. That it's worship of God, not creation. We shouldn't be surprised So, when the world is watching this movie before them and they see their bodies and they go, oh, I've got to take care of my temple, right? And they mean it in a really different terminology than the Christians mean it. And that means that they got to pay hundreds of dollars a month to be in fitness clubs and to sign up for the latest YouTube membership, which has got the latest workout on it, which has got the latest nutritional facts, which has got the latest, right? And every month they're they're just stirring up, oh, and then not only that, then they got to also work their mind out. And so they got to sign up for the latest meditation practices and they got to sign up for the latest self-help book. And they get, oh, that's not enough. And they got to go over here and sign up. Oh, I got, you know, my my skin's getting dry. So I got to get the most naturopathic thing I can get for like, and it goes on and on and they're spending thousands of dollars a month worshiping themselves. 
when we as Christians, when we, we put the lens of faith on and we see who we are, we recognize, I take care of my body, not for worshiping my body, because I recognize it is the place where God dwells. And so I want it to be something that worships and glorifies God so that I'm, I'm going to go out for a jog right now and I may not be able to get like 30 minutes in, but I'm going to get some exercise in today just because I want to maintain and take care of the body that God's given me, not to worship it, but so that in that running or in that exercise or in that taking care of it, I am worshiping my God for what he has given to me. Piper uses the illustration of, how many of y'all remember the 3D like paintings and stuff. You, you stare at them. You're supposed to stare at them and the image pops out at you, right? I'm horrible at them. Hor- Christy will attest to it. She's like, she walks up to it. Oh, that's a cat. Oh, that's a dog. Oh, that's a flower. And I'm like, I'm still on the first one. And I'm like, where? Like, I can't see it. Like, let you, well, just relax your eyes. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to relax my eyes anymore. They're going to fall out. Come on. I'm trying to like see that and I can't see it. And that's the world. We're, we're together on that, Lois. That's the world, though, that we, that we live in. They're staring at this 3D image. But what's really cool is when we put the lens of faith on, it pops out at us. The real meaning, the true understanding of why we have things pops right out at us. Faith points us to understand the world through that. Faith is that lens through which we see the visible world and we understand it that, wait a minute, God did this so that I might understand him more. I might worship him more. I might understand the heavenly things more. I might yearn and ache for the heavenly things more. Because I'm telling you what, when I got that news this week, all I was just praying is, God, come back. Come back. Since the creation of the world, Romans 1.20 says, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been made clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. God made it, not just so that we might go, oh, that's so pretty. But then we say, oh my God, is so amazing. We go on, there's a passage of scripture, and then there's a, there's a tie I want to closely make for help you understand this morning. And the next point, faith in God changes everything. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. Faith in God is supposed to change everything. Verse two, for by this the elders were commended. We're going to see some good old trial room, courtroom language here. Quite literally, the word for commended here is a witness whose testimony is born true. How was their testimony born true? Well, we're going to read about them for the next two to three weeks. We're going to take our time looking at the incredible stories of people of faith. How do we know they had faith? Because the Bible said they had faith? Tell me how. By their actions. By their actions. 
I want to read this to you. It's out of James chapter 2. And if you would turn over there for me, I would love it. James chapter 2. Hebrews, James. It's the next book towards the end of the Bible. James chapter 2. Let me give you a minute to get there. I want you to read this for yourself. We have a false, false understanding of faith. We think faith is just something that we kind of got a, maybe an emotionalism. We, we, we tie faith to an emotionalism. We tie faith to, to a belief. We tie faith to those things. And they fail and they stop short of understanding what faith is. James chapter 2, verse 14, starting, or James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26, starting in verse 14. What is it? What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Think about that for a minute. That gets entirely too convicting. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that your faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, I want to be super crystal clear here. Works without faith is just as damning. Okay? So I want to be really clear on that. So you say, oh, I do lots of good things for God. I, God, I serve in my community. I do all these things. I just don't want to believe in God. And so I, I think that somehow these, these works that I'm, these good things that I'm doing is going to somehow outweigh my, bad, outweigh my bad deeds and I'm going to get to heaven. No. No, 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 no. Faith works together in hand in hand. And works is driven by faith. Listen, faith is this idea, this understanding that God has come into us and changed our heart and our life. And we're going to get to a little bit more of that in a moment. But God is the initiator of my faith. Remember, I said this is a God-given ability. Faith is something that God gives to us. And when faith is revealed in us, we go, God, I love you. God, you've done so much for me. God, I understand now what the cross is about. I get why Jesus came. All of this makes sense now. The image is popping off the picture at me. 
I get it now. And because I get it, my life has changed and I can't stay living the same way. So now I want to live. I want to walk. I love the Greek word there for live. It's, it's, it's peripateo, which is this great word, which means walk. Quite literally, your conduct, the way you're walking around, the way I'm walking around town is different because I believe. My conduct, my life, everything about me is being changed by my faith that God has given to me and placed within me. It changes everything. So we cannot talk this morning about faith and works as two different things. They must be the same. If you say you have faith, but you have no desire to obey God, you have no desire to surrender God, you don't have faith. And if you're sitting here, I do great things, I don't need faith. Let me tell you what, you're condemned. You need faith. God needs to change your heart and your life so that your works matter. So they have significance and they have meaning for the kingdom of heaven. The next thing he says here in regards to faith is found in one verse B or one chapter one or verse one part B. Faith in God is proof of God and His kingdom. The word that's used there, I like the King James version here. You don't often hear me say that, but I like the King James version here. Uses the word evidence. And that carries the weight and the significance of this Greek word. This Greek word literally means the idea of presenting evidence in the trial. The proof. Faith, our faith, God coming in and changing our hearts and lives is supposed to point the world to Jesus. That the world, when the world sees us living, walking, acting, being a community of believers, working in our jobs, caring for our kids, being in the schools, like, you have no idea how bad this, week, this, this year during football season, I, I'm going to tell the coach, like, how to get it right, right? And, and if I would have done that, I would have really injured my ability to, to have be a person of faith in front of him, right? Because guess what? My faith and my conduct is supposed to point people towards Jesus Christ. The way we live is evidence. It's proof. Our faith is supposed to be proof. The things that's presented as trial to show that the case we're arguing is true. So that people will see and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The way we love one another the way we care for each other, it's supposed to be evidence that's presentable at court in which the jury is our neighbors, our friends, our peers, and they see that evidence and go, that's a person of faith. Jesus is real because of how they live. He's real. I can't see him. It's the proof of the things that you can't see. We can't see Jesus yet. We will someday. We can't see him yet. 
But we, in our actions and in our conduct, is to be the proof. Faith is the evidence, the proof of the things not seen. So if we're a people of fear and we shrink back, we don't evidence it. If we're a people that respond in anger and self-justification, we don't evidence it. If we're a people that when we encounter heartbreaking moments that so much Tacoma is going through, if we don't know our God is bigger than we don't, evidence that the faith desperately needs to see and hear right now because the world sees that and they go see Jesus doesn't make a difference shame on us if we remain silent shame on us if we feel like oh I, I don't dare address the issue of suicide my God is bigger than suicide I've been a soldier I've shared in experiences with people. I've walked alongside guys that were suicide. I've had soldiers take their lives. Don't be that person that stands on the outside and lacks mercy and compassion for those that are struggling in utter brokenness. You don't get it. If you've not picked up parts of your body off the of your buddy's body's buddy off the your buddy's body off the field. You don't get it. And then you have to the next day roll outside the wire and keep doing it and watching another friend get blown up. And you keep doing it day after day and then you come home and then you get to go back. Like you don't get it. And that's okay. You don't have to get it. I'm not saying you need to get it. I'm not saying you need, like, but be compassionate, be merciful. He had struggles and he had fights that were going on and he fought the good fight for a long time until the day the walls just closed in and all he could see, and in his mind, he, he couldn't be the father. He couldn't be the husband that God was calling to be. He couldn't be the pastor. And so medications and everything all boiled down to that point. But you know what? We serve a God who instead of the heartbreakingness of that news, he's going to bring beauty from this moment. Because that's his promise. That's what we hope in. That there is healing and there is hope in Jesus Christ. That even in that moment, God is good. That's what we hope in. And teens, hear me this morning. You got friends at school that are in dark, dark ways. And the walls are closing in. I pray that the way you're living will evidence the proof that Jesus is greater, that Jesus can bring hope, and that not only will you live it, but you'll have the courage to speak it and the courage to love in those really hard moments. The final thing that this passage says, and I couldn't begin here because... I don't think we could start here and, and it makes sense. But finally, he says, faith in God is the reality, the comfort, the assurity of the promises of God. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. 
It's funny, I will get a request every once in a while from parents who are having babies, and they'll say, hey, I want to name my child like a, a, a like really cool name, and I'd like to like, what's the Greek word or what's the Hebrew word for this? And and, and hope and, 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 uh, and faith are often words that come up. And so the word for hope is elpis. And so I don't know. Um, that might get confused with Elvis a little bit or just go wrongly in a lot of other ways. Um, or, or, but the word for, for faith is pistis, which I think is just, you're like, oof, don't do that to your kid, okay? Just, just please don't. They got to go through junior high. It's rough years the way it is. Like, right? This is the word, this word that we get here for being sure is this word that we have also seen for steadfastness in the word, in the book of Hebrews. Hupostasis, confidence, steadfastness, reality. That faith is the reality of the things that we hope for, the promises of God, that the way we live our lives, the faith that we have within us is the reality of the promises of God. You know what I love about the coming stories that we're going to study? They're a bunch of broken stories. Every person that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks in the chapter 11 are some broken sinner people, but they're being hailed for their faith. That is so encouraging. That is so encouraging to me this morning. Because their faith wasn't in their perfection. Their faith was in God's perfection. They lived, they walked, they moved, they, they did courageous things because they hoped in the promises of God. God said, I will deliver you. I will take care of you. I will hold you. I will protect you. And so they lived it out. They believed in it so much. They said, I am stepping out in faith. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what will happen to me tomorrow, but that's okay because God said his promises are true and I'm going to act today and the reality of tomorrow. I'm living in the way I live today. The reality I possess today, the reality that I'm walking today is in the promises of what God is going to do tomorrow. So Soma Tacoma and, and other churches that are grieving around the United States, Soma Tacoma is part of a whole Soma group of churches that extend throughout the United States. And I'm sure they're all grieving as they hear this news. But guess, this news, but guess what? There's faith that they can get up, they can gather together, they can weep, they can mourn, they can join hands in prayer, they can comfort one another because faith is this reality that God is coming back, that death does not have the final say, that there's comfort for that family. That God is the good father to those children. That God can be the perfect husband to his wife. They can get together and tears streaming down their faces, read the scriptures, clinging to the promises of God, clinging to their confession of hope in reality, in confidence. And assurance.
You see, this just isn't a, a nice passage that we memorize. This is life changing. To hold these truths, to live this way, to have faith in it is with such confidence that today I'm putting into reality the promises of God. Even though I don't know everything, I don't see the big picture. One of the greatest lines in the Hebrews 11 is, they didn't see, they didn't get to see the promise fulfilled, but they still acted in faith. They lived out the reality of the promise, even though they couldn't see the end. Brothers and sisters, we are spoiled. Jesus has come. That's history. He rose from the grave. That's history. They didn't even have that. But they walked in faith. Brothers and sisters, how much more so should we walk in faith? How much more so should we live with this confident reality, this assurance, and we, that our lives are a living proof of God? We need each other to do this. Got some questions that I'm going to post up with the sermon this week. Clarissa, please don't let me forget to get those to you. I want you to start wrestling with these questions. Go online. Look at the sermon. They'll be posted there. Grab those questions with your life group, with your DNA, whoever, with some other believers. Get together and go through these questions. If you were sitting in my jury this morning and I presented my conduct in my life as evidence, would you say there is a God and that he loves me? Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you challenge us so much in the scriptures, but with the challenge comes the comfort that you give us the faith. You've put the Holy Spirit within us. You've written the law upon our hearts. And now all it is is to live in light of the truth of who you are and what you've done. And Lord, help us. We're people easily intimidated, easily distracted. Our emotions get the better of us. And Lord God, we go astray. And I pray, Father God, that this morning we would be reminded once again of your goodness. That the high priest sits on the throne restoring us to right relationship so that we can continue to be a people of faith. That is, even in our confession, even in our confession of, I don't get it. Why did this have to happen? Why did a body of believers have to lose their pastor in such a way? Why did a husband have to depart his wife in such a way? Why did kids need to lose their dad this week? I don't get it. But I want my life and I want our lives in here, Lord God, to evidence a faith that says God is real and God is good even when we don't understand. Let us not have our faith shrink, but rather grow in these moments. Let us cry out to you as David did. Why? Why, God? 
Let us be still before the Lord God of the universe. For you will comfort. You will strengthen. You are near. And you love us. Thank you, Jesus. For you.